Hey everyone, my name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 33 of the show, which according to myth means we are ready to begin our ministry and get crucified. Oh no. Yeah. Actually, I think beginning our ministry was three years ago, but crucifixion, that should be any day now. So this is our last episode. Oh, I didn't think that through. No, 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 no. We'll just record again in three days. We're good. Oh, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> that and we lost half our fan base. <laughs> <laughs> we don't usually make uh, crass religious comments. It's just, you know, it's it's not even religious. It's just cultural. It's it's, it's literary. Yeah. Yeah. Literary. Um, so, yes, we are continuing our journey through Marvel Comics of the 1960s, and we are currently in the fantastic month of August 1963, which, after July 1963, had a lot of new books. This is having a lot of new switchovers, uh, lots of changes around in the comics, which um, mostly we just talked about last time. This, one, this month, we uh, are going to basically do stuff we're comfortable with. Fantastic Four... <laughs> Spidey, mm-hmm. Iron Man. With all the same people. Yeah. yeah. So uh, who's who's got the first book? Me! Fantastic 420 is Mike Kaiser's. Yeah. I feel like I haven't done a Fantastic Four book in a while, but I don't know. Um, but yeah, Fantastic Four number 20. It's called The Mysterious Molecule Man. And it's created by all our favorite guys, Stanley, Jack Kirby, Dick Ayers, Artie Semek. And it was 12 cents. Man. A diamond two coppers. Hey, has it always been twelve cents, or did that just go up? What happened to ten cents? Uh, anyway, it went up pretty quickly, pretty early on. Okay, all right. So it starts out with all the Fantastic Four like sitting around this big Kirby s kind of like contraption. You guys can visualize it. it; fills up the whole panel, crazy. And like they're analyzing this meteor or something that came out of the space that Reed Richards just plucked or you know picked up or something, and he's trying to open it, and thing gets impatient, so he just rips it in half for him. And inside is like this living organism thing. And he's like, Oh, I really need to, um, you know, study this and figure it out. And then they never talk about any of this again. So I don't know what's going on there, but anyway, because the human torch looks outside and there's a big ball of energy just floating around in New York. And the cops are like shooting at it because they don't know what to do with it. So that's obviously the response, right? Just shoot at it, I guess. Uh, and nothing's happening. So the Fantastic Four go down there. And just like the cops, they decide to also attack it. Um, and I don't know what happens. Like nothing works. And eventually Invisible Woman turns invisible and tries to poke it with a stick or something. And she gets sucked inside and she cries out for help. And they all hear her. So they all jump in too to go after her. And it turns out it's not a big ball of you know, harmful villainous energy. It's just like a portal to the moon. They're back on that big blue moon in that world of Uatu the Watcher. Has his name been Uatu yet? Just the Watcher, I think, yeah, for I think us right now. he's just the Watcher. He's just the Watcher. Spoiler. Sorry, everybody. And then uh, they're like, hey, what'd you bring us here for? And he's like, I have to tell you something. I've been watching you because I'm a Watcher. And there's this guy. Let you me know, show I'm, you. I'm Roger the Watcher. <laughs> no, that's the other guy. That's, the other that's guy. his cousin. He lives out back in the pink area of the moon. Right. Uh, but this guy, this other watcher who has no name, he projects like this story of what really happened on Earth of like this real hairy kind of gross, uh, you know, nerdy looking guy who's also working on a big Kirby contraption. Actually, I think he works for somebody. He's like just at a like a science thing or something. Um he, you know, he gets his hourly salary or whatever, but he's working on something and it explodes. 
and all his hair falls off practically, and he's got these grotesque, like, lightning bolt scars on his face. But he can also now control all molecules, so that's pretty handy. And he decides to quit his job, and he, like, beats up his boss, who's kind of mean, which is good. And then um, the Watcher explains, so basically I brought you guys here because this guy controls molecules, and as you all know, molecules are everything. So he could just snap his finger and, like, destroy an entire galaxy if he wanted to. I can't go after that. I don't know anybody powerful enough to stop him except for you four and Thor and Iron Man and Ant-Man and Spider-Man and who am I missing? Hulk. But yeah, you four. So go back and kill him, okay? Or beat him up or something. So he sends him back. And when they get back, they find that he already, at Molecule Man is already starting his, uh, you know, uh, take over the city thing. Because he's got everybody like assembled in, um, you know, Times Square, and he's like, "I'm the Molecule Man, and I'm my word is now law." And he's got like this cute little green elf outfit that he made for himself and stuff. Anyway, the Fantastic Four attack him, and guess what? He pretty much beats the heck out of him because he really can do anything. He, for some reason, and we'll get into this in the discussion because I don't understand it myself, but he has to use this wand for his powers. So he had an accident, but like the wand is the power, I guess. So. He uses the wand and he can make like he could turn buildings into big fans to blow them away and he can create like protective crystal around him and make pogo sticks and umbrellas and any sort of 1963 Marvel hijinks you can think of he can do he can rip up the streets and all this so he's re- he's doing all these things and the Fantastic Four have no chance against him even Invisible Girl's go to which has been to turn invisible and then yank the bad guys like the source of his power out of their hands. That doesn't work because she tries to yank the wand, but he holds on because he's like stronger than Submariner and Dr. Doom, I guess. And she doesn't get that to work. So eventually they just run. Uh, They run away and Molecule Man like creates this force field around New York City so that they can't escape that far. But with the help of the Yancey Street gang, the four make it to Alicia's apartment. And that's where Mr. Fantastic has time to decompress and process and think of a way to beat Molecule Man just like Batman or Iron Man. With enough prep Mr. Fantastic can beat anybody. So eventually he has Alicia summon uh, the Molecule Man to her apartment by shooting their Fantastic Four flare. He comes in. He sees statues of the uh, Fantastic Four that Alicia had just uh, sculpted. And he's like, well, I'll show you what I think of these. I'm going to turn them into Silly Putty. And he shoots the statues, uh, but it turns out they're not statues. It's actually the actual Fantastic Four wearing putty. And this causes his wand to backfire because Mr. Fantastic figured out that he's only able to control inanimate things. He can't control um, living atoms, I guess, or anybody that's alive. Because otherwise he would have turned them to just like bumblebees and frogs or something. But he didn't do that. So as he suspected... When he uses his powers on things he can't control, the feedback was so great that it knocks Molecule Man on his butt. They take the wand, and then immediately the Watcher like opens that portal again and sucks them all back into his house. And he says, well, now that you've taken his wand, I can imprison this guy because he's powerless. So I'm going to do that. Thank you. He high-fives them all. They all go back with the wand, and they're like, yeah, I wonder if we'll ever see the Molecule Man again. And the end. Yeah. Just a little note on the plot structure of this. Mm-hmm. Like Mike's synopsis spends a lot of time on the first few pages and a lot of time on the last few pages. And there's a lot of fighting in between. This read really fast. 
to where I actually kept scrolling to think like there was going to be another story. I didn't realize I had gone through the whole book already. Yeah, it reads quickly because so much of it is like narrated action. But like yeah. my notes are on the first six pages and the last six pages. <laughs> well, just in general, what is your experience <laughs> with Molecule Man? Because he is a reoccurring character. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's gone for like 10 years after this, but he's very much uh, like I, I knew him from the Bronze Age from Marvel Superhero Secret Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. Because I had that trade as a kid. That was one of the few backstories I was able to get my hands on. I actually got single issues of that that mm-hmm. was one of the few stories i got single issues of and i thought it was so cool to get single issues of it then i realized it was actually pretty easy to do um <laughs> well not that number eight for a while yeah not that number prob- eight. probably now but marvel superheroes secret wars is a whole thing and yeah and I if i recall it. and i don't remember because i haven't read it in a while but wasn't molecule man a pacifist by that point or something like he didn't want to participate Right. He didn't like his powers. He didn't like participating. He didn't. He was just kind of like, you know, there. He was scared of being beaten up. And the bad guys were really on his case. And Dr. Doom was like, dude, you have so much power. You don't even know how powerful uh-huh. you are. And Molecule Man kind of gets an inkling in that. Of how I think he starts, he, he starts dating he also like, scores ti- like th- Titania, right? Or something like that don't they start yeah. becoming a couple in that and then that's when he sort of has the inspiration to save her butt and like fight back and throw right. mountains at them and stuff yeah it's coming Just back to me to that's save, pretty much my my only yeah that's my only molecule man experience really that and this are my only because this is like i said his only appearance for a long time so the stuff that he does in between this and 1984 i just don't know that well now he looks much scarier in this than than I remember him in Secret Wars. In Secret Wars, he had the scars, but he seemed like kind of a normal guy with just lines on his face, like mark, magic marker lines or something. Right. Kind of and like this, um, Rachel Gray, Rachel's uh, Phoenix lines. Yeah. Not her Phoenix line, her, her, yeah, yeah. her Hunter lines. Yeah. yeah. And this looks like way scarier. He looked like kind of like Scarecrow-y looking or something. Like He's got yeah. weird jagged mouth and, and hollow eyes and... Right. And he's just a dude later. I mean, not the best looking dude. You know, he's got the receding hairline and such, but he's just a dude later with the mm-hmm. jagged lines, but otherwise normal looking. Mm-hmm. And this is like, he's got a really distorted face. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. I like it, but. It, um, I should say that he's also a significant part of Secret Wars 2, which is another thing I read recently. But, um, but yeah, so um, this is a story. You're right. He does have the wand. And I don't know if it's like a, a focus tool, like in Harry Potter, or if it's like essential to his power, because they play like it's essential. They do. And I know later he won't even have it. Um, kind of like the uh, the Plant Man thing. Mm, yeah. Like eventually, eventually Plant Man is just, that's his power, I think. But like. I think you're you right. Have have, I don't think he needs that, that tool to communicate with the plants right. very often. Right. So they don't say it's a focus. And it just comes out of nowhere, because it shows him having an accident. Mm-hmm. He's not holding a web. He's not holding a wand at that point or anything. Maybe, and this is just me predicting where the story might go. Maybe he's just not that bright and doesn't realize <laughs> he doesn't need the wand. And then, or at like some you point, said, it's a focal point. Either one. Yeah. Well, maybe at some point in the 1970s, he realized he doesn't even need the focal point. He just has the power. He just right. But who knows? Yeah. Uh, I guess so, we, I will, mean, we will know if we keep on doing the show. It's like it gave them a. Uh, a way to beat him, I guess, because if if he just has the power, then what they did to win in this issue wouldn't have worked. 
Right. Now, you mentioned the thing they were doing at the beginning of the story. I kind of like that we just come in at a random thing and we get interrupted. Like, none of mm-hmm. that stuff with the asteroid means diddly squat to this story. But it's just what they were doing whenever the Watcher decided to give them a Skype call in a really weird way. Well, in my modern story modern storytelling brain i feel like this is a setup for something else but since this is the 60s i'm guessing we never go back to this which is kind of sad because i want to know what the heck that thing is too (laughs) um it's interesting that he's like this proves that there's life in space and it's like well so does the watcher yeah but uh whatever and and like like five of your adventures prove that there's life in space yeah when they went to krypton I can't remember what else they've done. <laughs> the but, um, Well, they, they've dealt with scrolls. Oh, scrolls. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Yeah. I don't know so, why the Fantastic Four of all people are trying to prove that life exists in space. No. I mean, it's still an interesting rock. Unless he means like actual space. Like that life can oh, exist in like the vacuum of space. Maybe it is an that asteroid. is what it, Yeah, that could be what he means. Let's go with that because he's not that dumb. Um, I like that too. But, but yeah, they're never going to follow up on this, I imagine. So why that's, a, Jack, that's a shame. Why does Jack Kirby change the look of the Watcher? Did he change the look of the Watcher? Oh, uh, he he is a little different, isn't he? Yeah, I mean... His costume's different. His costume's different. His body, I think, is bigger in proportion to his head. Although he has these little bitty tiny legs at the bottom. Well, yeah, you're right. Maybe they, at the time they didn't think he of him as having, as having a costume is more like he just wears clothes. So this is just a different outfit, different day. Uh, but yeah, you're right. He was he yellow in the last one because his skin is kind of yellow. Yeah, I don't think he was. I think he was more white in the mm-hmm. last one, like like off white. Maybe that's what they're supposed to do here. Well, you know, his second appearance, they're still playing with the idea, I guess. Yeah, well, the Watcher, I feel like, goes through a lot of different morphs on his look. And that, like, he's not really very consistently portrayed. I wonder if his uh, race can... I'm uh, surprised that Jack Kirby, like, from his own pen, was inconsistent. But can, that's okay. Can, can they shape change? I don't think so. I don't maybe, know. They maybe. seem to be omnipotent somehow, but maybe not. No, I guess they're not. They don't really do any. If they were omnipotent, they could stop Molecule Man, huh? Speaking of Molecule Man and molecules, like, I guess, I mean, I've noticed in the past and other media and other stories that like scientific knowledge in the sixties is just nowhere near that it is now as far as like public perception. So maybe kids in the sixties wouldn't know science, but Reed doesn't even get a good definition of what comics of what molecules are. He says in simplest terms, they're the smallest group of atoms which compose any element. And that's not true. Atoms are the smallest groups of atoms that compose any element. Molecules can be lots more besides elements, like water is made up of molecules and glass is crystallized molecules and like different kinds of substances can be diff- have molecules at their base. Elements have atoms at their base. But oh well, I don't read yeah, comics. It's probably just something like, you know, Stan's just like, oh, molecules affect everything. So yeah, he can, he can control molecules. And no one ever accused Stanley of having a really advanced scientific understanding. No. <laughs> As and, is evidenced by so much of comics. Or, or running to the library to uh, you know look up stuff before he writes it. Right. Okay. I mean, if you could control molecules, power-wise, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Molecule Man having mo- molecular control over anything around him is a fantastic 
beyond uh, like beyond belief level of power. Yeah, like that's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and he only has the barest inkling of what he can do with it in this in this issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just makes giant magnets essentially. Right. What is up with the goodness gracious great ball of fire that the Watcher sends to get the Fantastic Four? I feel like there's think- a better way to do that. There probably was, but he's also alien and doesn't really care about causing panic in the street, maybe. And what does he say? He says something like, I apologize for my drastic methods, but I had to find a way to bring the Fantastic Four to me. So, basically, he makes this big ball and assumes that the powerful people in the city are going to come over there and poke at it, which wasn't wrong. It wasn't wrong. I mean, he might have accidentally gotten some policemen. I mean, Yeah, maybe he did. Yeah. And they kicked him back out. (laughs) (laughs) No, not you. Shoo, get out of here. So the Baxter building is floating over Times Square. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, he lifts that up, and uh, that's what he uses to make his announcement. That's pretty awesome. There's not a single Jumbotron in sight. Do you think Dr. Doom's watching that going, I did that already? (laughs) I pulled the building out of the ground. It's a really cool sight. Like, it's a really big... Um, almost a splash page, like three quarters of a page of like the Baxter building just hovering over Times Square. And you can see the shadow of it on, on the crowd of people that are stupidly standing underneath it. Is and this he's it? like, he's like on the ledge yeah, and, you know, declaring his martial law. It's kind of cool. Is this in Marvels? No, not I that like I recall. It, okay. I feel like it'd be the sort of thing that would make a great shot for Marvels. Yeah, it would. Maybe it like, was just like a panel or something, but it wasn't like a source of an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's like like a, a passing event because he he references so many events just in passing in that in that book. Boy, we really uh, should read Marvels while we're doing this just to make sure we're not missing anything because that oh, might be that might be good. Like the first Ooh. issue would cover a lot. The first um, issue is all Golden Age, so we could skip that one. But then like the second one is uh you know there's lots of panels of the Avengers fighting somebody here and there. It's like maybe mm-hmm. that's gonna gonna play out for us. And that I don't have a lot to say about the fight. So what are your thoughts as we go through this fight? Yeah, like you said, he doesn't... I mean, if you can control molecules, there's probably better things you can do than make, like, big giant springs to spring you around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, giant fans and giant magnets. And um, it is kind of cool, like, when thing goes into the, the sewer, that's kind of scary. Like, all that stuff starts enveloping him and yeah. crushing him to death and... Reminds me of freaking Superman 3. Oh, yeah, yeah, with that Like robot. at the end of Superman 3, whenever the that, woman turns into Brainiac? That scared me. That scared me. What year was that movie before I say that scared me, and then everybody goes, ha-ha, you're a scared 28-year-old? 1983 or 4? Okay, so I wasn't even 10 yet. Yeah, that scared me. It scared me. And yeah. I, remember, I remember watching it with Lily when I was, you know, a grown-ass man, and that scene is really short and goes by really quickly. But, like, in my childhood memory, it was this, like, epic sequence of a woman getting eaten and turned into a computer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember hearing or reading somewhere there was supposed to be some sort of, like, brainiac concept behind all that in the original script, but they did away with it. That's probably for the best. Because, you know, nothing else about that was brainiac, so. Well, it was like a, a Luthor and brainiac movie that got turned into something else. Oh, I see. So the whole concept was changed, not just yeah. that part. Okay. Luthor was turned into not Luthor. Well, I think that's because Gene Hackman didn't want to do it, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Max Shrek something, maybe? I don't know. Max Shrek. That's Batman Returns. But Oh, yeah, I just watched that. That's why I used my head. <laughs> but it is something, Max, I think. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a fun fight. You're, but Man, the whole thing is the fight. I like that they run away, and they're like on a 
subway or uh is that a subway or a train or something i don't know yeah yeah they're on a subway train they're That's down funny. underground i've been on and those do the, and do the people like complain about them i kind of uh, uh, well, look who it is this is a heck of a way for america's sweethearts to travel Oh, Fantastic Four, Bob, just a bunch of overrated quitters. So, yeah, even Fantastic Four are subjected to Marvel's negativity. Sometimes. Oh, yeah, on the previous page, rather there. Mm-hmm. My son was, just read the issue where Spider-Man runs away from the Green Goblin at the big thing, and, and yeah, this is Fantastic Four. Bah. Like, Marvel in general is like the superheroes get dogged on because that's what that was kind of the whole plot of Marvel, speaking of Marvels, is like you start them out as heroes, and then we keep trying to find ways to tear them down all the time. Uh huh. Because uh-huh. that's what we do as humans. So I was just wondering if even back then, if like Marvel's sweetheart team, which is the Fantastic Four, are going to get chastised for running away, and they did. So that's kind of interesting. Well, well, Mike, if if they can't defeat the Molecule Man, who can? Thor. <laughs> yeah, Hulk. the Watcher's like, I need some superpowered people, and and I'm like, you have a plethora to choose from. Well, not just on Earth, but don't you know? I mean, spoilers. There's a whole bunch of watchery type people not just his own race but ton of you know things like creating this universe and guarding it and molding it and it's like none of them can take out the molecule man just the fantastic four just the fantastic four how about eternity living tribunal nobody anyway (laughs) the stranger the stranger then we get Uh, our first appearance of a yancey streeter okay this kind of blew me away because i was always under the impression we never see the yancey street gang I think we eventually do start seeing like full blown, like in the really modern comics around Civil War when I actually read like a little run of Fantastic Four. Uh-huh. I think there are actually Yancey Street people that Ben goes and talks to and hangs out with. Wow. Cause I thought it was always just like through letters or, you know, threats or whatever. And we just never see them. We just see him being annoyed by this unseen thing. But wow, well, no, right. there they are. And I think for the Holy Kirby run, we never see more than like hands sticking in or like we see this guy full body, but he's in the shadows. Uh, I don't think Lee and Kirby ever bring them in any more than that, but later creators I think do. And apparently their thing is horse and buggy. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe they're the guys who run that for the park or something. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, people do that. They, they give Mm -hmm. horse and buggy rides for a, for a, for a fee. Maybe that's what the, this particular Yancey streeter does for a living. Could be. I mean, he's older than I. I always, always assumed the Yancey Street Gang would be like a bunch of young punk kids, but I guess he he looks, you know, like an adult. Both of them do. Well, no, those two guys in the front are not Yancey Streeters. Oh, they're just ra- random g- gang people who are looking for the FF because obviously the Molecule oh. Man drives them off. I'd sure like to spot the FF. They set me up for six months once. Me too. Keep your eyes open, pal. They might be anywhere. Oh, okay. Man, we should just narrate these comics. That was fun. Okay. <laughs> uh yeah and then it comes to like uh, you know so the restriction to organic molecules mm-hmm. oh so how would that work sometimes uh my your voice on my end cuts out and then it catches up so if i ever talk over you i apologize oh, what you're saying. i don't know what i was saying go ahead so there's a restriction to organic molecules mm-hmm. and Which, that's handy for the story it is handy i think they were reworked that though whenever doom helps molecule man like see the extent of his power uh-huh, because he becomes like the Beyonder. Right. And he unlocks his abilities. So either at that point or before that point, he realizes that he doesn't have to be restricted to inorganics if he doesn't want to be. 
I think Doctor Doom and the end of Secret Wars, more spoilers from, you know, the 80s. He he steals Beyonder's powers and then he tells Molecule Man, like, you've, you've always been able to. You just hold back because, you know, it's too scary, a concept or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember, but I haven't read it in a long time. And I don't so, know if that sticks either because that's a really powerful upgrade if, you know, in the future he can just turn anybody into whatever he wants. Well, I know that between Secret Wars and Secret Wars 2, he, like, goes domestic. He and Titania, like, seriously just go find an apartment. I don't think it's Titania. It's Titania's friend. Because Titania goes off with... <gasps> Crusher Hogan. Right. Yeah, you're right. Who was the friend? I can't remember. Anyway. I don't know. I don't think she becomes... I don't think she stays as big as... Maybe she does. Oh, she was the Volcana chick. Yes. I Volcana? just called her a chick. I'm sorry. Yeah. She had like big hips and she felt insecure about her looks. And he was like thinking she was the hottest girl ever. She was a plus size gal and yeah, she, she was, was self-conscious about it. Yeah. Yeah. But she her powers were she could like turn into this volcanic thing and shoot lava and stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember so, that. So she and Molecule Man, Melvin or whatever, set up shop, like set up apartment. Uh-huh. Uh, which I guess is setting up house, not setting up shop. But I like um, that because you know what? If you're so powerful that you're Molecule Man, like do you even need to be a jerk? No. You can create anything you want, right? Like, you can create money. You can create food. You can create a house. Well, I mean, what do you need to do to take it? What What is taking over the world going to do except give you chores? Right. I don't know. I mean, just relax. Chill. No one can hurt you. You're, you're, you're in need of nothing. Peace on earth for you. Well, but before that, he gets sucked into the blue orb and taken to the Watcher. Now, I'm going to call mm. bullshit on the Watcher here because he says... Um, I could not interfere in your battle, but now that you have won, I shall take the Molecule Man away. Um, mm-hmm. I think he totally could have interfered in the battle. Also, I think he totally could have just sent the blue ball of fire to the Molecule Man in the first place. Well, I mean, define interfere, because just sicking the Fantastic Four on Molecule Man is interfering. Right. So, like, I think I think the Watcher is a rebel of his people, and totally justifies actions all the time that aren't really justifiable. Maybe he's like being listened to. And so he says it for the benefit of other, the watchers who are watching the watcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I couldn't interfere in your battle, but now that you've won, I'll take the molecule man away. He'll never menace you again. I feel like if we ever meet any other watchers that none of them would have even done anything about the molecule man. Like if he, if, if his destiny is to snap his finger and wipe out reality, so be it. We'll just be here to watch it. Right. That actually is probably very true. Because so. certainly the Watcher has seen similar levels of you know stuff happen. Mm-hmm. But I guess if you're going to have a story about fighting an overpowered god, it's going to be hard to make that resolution feel satisfying. And this one does not feel satisfying. Mm-hmm. And he's going to do this again in the future. Yeah. But, he's uh, the Watcher. He's the watcher. He'll he's always there to like give you just the right nudge, but he doesn't actually like chip in really. My favorite watcher moment ever is um, whenever Spider Man is at some really big event and he's like, "Man, so glad the watcher's not here." Why? Because whenever he shows up, things are getting really bad. Looks over his shoulder. There's a watu. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds funny. Yeah, I think it's like I think it's actually I think it's at the. Um, the big superhero meeting at the beginning of the civil war story. When they're first getting together in a big crowd to talk about what the heck's going on, what they're going to do about it. And I think, yeah, that's what I think is going on anyways. So I'm done with fantastic Four Twenty. Speaking of Spider-Man. Oh yeah. Speaking of Spider-Man, 
Let's move on. Oh, this one's mine too. It is. You get Spider Man again. I get Spider Man. Do 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 do. I can't believe we're on okay. issue six already. How'd that happen? It's kind of crazy. Like, okay, so as we're recording this, Amazing Spider Man 2's episode went up last week, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, um, or maybe it's been a couple weeks because it was bi monthly at first. So there are like several episodes between Spider Man's. So it feels like we've been talking about Spider Man for a while. But at the same time, I don't know. Six. Okay. Well, so Lizard. Ca- hold on, though. For Lizard. Because now I'm trying to think. So first one was Chameleon. And Astronaut. And Astronaut. Second one is Doc. Oh, Vulture. And Tinkerer. And third one is Doc Octopus. Uh-huh. And fourth is what? Sandman. Okay. And fifth is what? Doctor Doom. Oh, Doctor Doom. Yeah, that was a throwaway one. Okay. Yeah, a the bit, Lizard. A bit, yeah. I was trying to think. We have six Spider-Man villains, but yeah, Doctor Doom. <laughs> Okay, so the lizard is um, this anthropomorphic lizard in a long white coat and clothes, like fully dressed uh, lizard man. And actually in the cartoon, they call him the lizard man. It's really annoying. Uh, The lizard man is tearing up the Everglades in Florida, tearing trees out of swamps. And all the people who live in the Everglades and in the swamps, they're all scared of the lizard. They're running away. And so the story about this gets all the way to New York City. And Spider-Man's, like, reading the newspaper. He's like, huh, you know, I, I think I'll uh, figure out something. Because the Bugle says the Bugle challenges Spider-Man to defeat the lizard. And um, <laughs> Peter's like, hey, Jonah, I'll go take pictures of that for you. And Jonah's like, Psh, it's just a story, dude. There is no lizard. And I'm certainly not paying for you to go and take pictures. That doesn't even exist. Um, so Peter's like, okay, fine, whatever. And as, he's, as Peter's leaving, he's like, ooh. Hi, Betty. She's like, ooh, hi, Peter. So Peter goes to uh, the Natural History Museum for a tour or a uh, lecture about dinosaurs, which is really convenient. Um, I think it's actually a class trip because I think like flat. No, no. Flash and Liz are just randomly there. It's not a class trip. That's right. While he's there and while the lecture is happening about dinosaurs, he sees a couple of guys who are up to no good, start making trouble in the <laughs> um, primate hood. And... Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> He's like, okay, I'll go turn into Spider-Man. So he goes turn into Spider-Man, comes back, and these guys have pulled a gun and they're taking Liz hostage. So he jumps down, punches out the bad guys, and says, hey, blue eyes. And she's like, ah. So he swings off, turns back into Peter Parker, comes back, and Flash is like, get out of here, Parker. I can deal with, with competition like you. But this girl's got a thing for Spider-Man now. And uh, she's like, oh, he called me blue eyes. He's my man, knight in shining armor. So then Peter's, you know, walking away. And he, this this dude's walking past with a shortwave radio because that's a thing that happens. And Peter's like, oh, I'll listen in. <gasps> They're talking about the lizard. Everyone's wondering why Spider-Man hasn't gone after the lizard. So Peter's like, I know how to make this happen. So he turns into Spider-Man and goes after Jonah. He's like, okay, Jonah, check it out. I'm totally going to go after the lizard, just like you said in your paper. And you need to send your best photographer. And I'm going to dangle you from the ceiling on this web here to show that I mean business. And he swings off and Jonah's like, you blankety blank blank. Why are you doing this? Um, Betty Brand, get a get a cushion in here. I'm going to whomp. Never mind. Don't need that cushion anymore. Uh, so he calls <laughs> Peter in and says, OK, Peter, listen up. You and your uh, camera are going to go down to Florida. OK. And you know what? Peter's like, I'm going to go to Florida, going to take some pictures, going to see, you know, the tropics. I'm going with you. Well, crap. Um, (laughs) 
So uh, Peter goes to Aunt May and says, Aunt May, I'm going to go to Florida and I'm going to go see the lizard. And she's like, no, you're not going to go see the lizard. Oh, excuse me. Aunt May voice. Um, you're not going to go see the lizard. That's too bad. It's too dangerous. You can't go. And Peter says, but J. Jonah Jameson's going to take care of me. Oh, is he, is he the man who pays you to take those pictures? Oh, he's such a nice man. I guess if he's going to go with you, you can go. And Peter's like, yeah, he's like a great big, he says something that's like, not teddy bear, but um, great big, I don't guardian know. Guardian angel. About, guardian angel. That's what he says. He's a great big guardian angel. Yeah. So um, anyways, while they're flying down, Peter like does some research to show off for the boss. They get down to uh, Florida, get off the plane. He immediately runs off from Jameson, changes into Spider-Man and goes into action. Jonah's like, oh, oh, okay, I guess I'll go check into the hotel Excelsior. Um, and so Spider-Man's walking through the swamp and says, okay, got an entire state of Florida. Where could the lizard be? Oh, He's grabbing my foot and Spider-Man gets grabbed by the foot and pulled into the swampy water <laughs> and uh, jumps out of the water. And he fights with the lizard for a while. And he's like, okay, I know that there's a doctor in this area named Kurt Connors. I know he lives around here. I better go warn them that the lizards in the area. So he goes to Kurt Connors, house and, and Martha Connors is crying and he walks in and says, Martha. And she says, yeah, that's my name. My name is Martha. And, um, so they're like, the, the lizard's in your area. He can, he can hurt you. And she says, oh, I know all about the lizard. He's my husband. And Spider-Man's like, you married a lizard? Um, but no, it turns out that Kirk Connors is the research scientist who's been studying reptiles. And he lost an arm back in Nam, back in the war. And um, he hopes that with the help of the lizard uh, regenerative powers, he can regrow his arm. And he does. He regrows his arm. And then it turns all green and scaly and turns him into a lizard. And he wanders off and tells his wife, he leaves her a note, take take our boy, never come back home. And uh, he goes to live in the swamp. So Martha and their boy Billy are like, you know, we've got to figure out how to live without our husband now. And speaking of Billy, eek, somebody help me. Uh, and Spider-Man's like, what's that? That's my boy Billy. And so out in the swamp, um, Billy's being terrorized by a snake and the lizard's behind him. And Spider-Man thinks the lizard is scaring Billy. Turns out the lizard's actually going to try to save Billy. But um, Spider-Man goes and saves Billy from his reptilian father and um, goes and does some science. at the. I'm, I'm sorry, this is going way too long. I apologize. He makes some science at the house, makes a serum, save the lizard, chases the lizard into a giant fort. The lizard wants to give um, his lizard-making uh, serum to all of the reptiles in the area to make this big army of lizard reptile people. So I was like, no, got to save him. Got to stop him. I mean, so he takes his helative serum, works it into the lizard's mouth, turns him back into the doctor, saves the day, saves the Connors family. Billy and Martha are happy again. Peter goes back to JJ and James says, look at all the pictures I got. And James says like, how did you get those pictures? Young whippersnapper like you. And Peter's like, um, I, um, bottom from a from a from a guide from an old old guide and james is like these are fakes i'm gonna tear them up and uh not only that but you owe me money for the plane trip too and so they get back home and peter has to do chores liz is still waiting for spider-man to call her so please stop stop 
you know, tell you about my phone line. And Spider-Man sends a uh, mockery poem to J. Joe Jameson at the Bugle. At the end. Sorry, that went too long. I just got caught up in all this stuff. I love this story. You know, what's interesting is all of these Spider-Man stories, I feel like they end later than the other books we read. End later. Like, like every time he defeats the villain, I think, okay, there's going to be a, the end coming now. And then there's like two or three more pages usually. Oh, like falling action, like character resolution. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. And that kind of goes to show you why maybe like a lot of Spider-Man fans are always all about Peter Parker more than Spider-Man. Because they don't care that the book is just about the action. And when the action is over, it's the end. Which is all, which is always what happens with Ant-Man or Fantastic Four or Thor. Any of those mm-hmm. guys. But with Peter, it's like, man, you still got three, three more pages of follow-up of what happened to him because of all this. Right. It's kind of cool. So, so what is your experience with the lizard? Um, well, shoot, man. This exact story, more or less, maybe not the Florida part, has been obviously the Garfield movie. And it was the first, I believe, 90s cartoon. The first episode. Or at least right, one of the night, night, night of the Lizard, yep. One of the first episodes. So this is like a classic. I mean, they never did it with the Toby movies, unfortunately. They did have Connors, but um, this is kind of like a classic villain in the sense that they like to go to him because he's a good, formidable opponent. And also, I think he's got a kind of a quality of like a Batman villain where it's like he's not really a villain. It's just he's had a bad day kind of thing. Um, right. He's tragic. He's a tragic villain. It's not like he's just a jerk. He started out good, and then something bad happened that is taking over his brain. You know, um, I don't know that I've read a lot of comics. I think I read, I think McFarlane used him initially, but that was a really weird story. That was mostly he was like a mindless lizard for that arc. It was like the first uh, when Spider when McFarlane got his Spider Man title called simply Spider Man. Yes, there was okay. like this whole big six part thing, and it had the lizard in it as the someone torment for, story. It's someone for him to fight, but the lizard wasn't really in his right mind for any of that. He was like a possessed voodoo doll thing or something. Yeah, Calypso was using the lizard to draw in Spider-Man. Yeah, so I read that story, but that doesn't really give you a lot of lizard insight. It was more like just, ooh, McFarlane draws lizard cool. Oh, yeah, because the art on that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So so I had this story because mm-hmm. I grew up on the I grew up with the first 20 issues of Spider-Man. So this mm-hmm. story. And then I go to collect comics off the shelves and that McFarlane Spider-Man series was just oh. getting going. And I got Torment in a trade paperback. And oh my God. The you know, just going, I was like, cause that was one of the things that drew me into McFarlane art was mm-hmm. you took Ditko's lizard and turned and it into that. You injected steroids into it, yeah. Right, or it's just made it reptilian, made it monstrous, and it was really, really cool. I really liked McFarlane's lizard art. Um, yeah, he's less like that. He's more like a, uh, what is it called? A slee snack or a snee snack or something from the... Uh, a slee what, snack? What's that show called? Land, Land of, the of the Lost? Lost? Yeah. 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 <laughs> he kind of looks a little like that, in a way, yeah. except with the tail. Like, he doesn't have, like, eventually, and I don't know if this is from McFarlane or just in general, in modern... Pers- in modern portrayals, he's got more of an alligatory mouth, like it actually sticks out, mm-hmm. like he like he could bite your head off. Where this looks like a guy who has scales on his face. A bit. You know yeah. what he looks like? Have you ever seen that movie Enemy Mine? I've not. Okay, well, for those of you who have, it's like an '80s or '90s sci-fi movie, Enemy Mine, with Dennis Quaid, and the heat crash lands on this planet with his enemy, and the enemy's an alien. It looks a lot like this version of the lizard different color but like the same kind of scales around the mouth and all that good movie by the way you should watch that but anyway 
Well, um, this this is one of I think my standout issues of Amazing Spider-Man in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was reading through it, I'm also reading some a lot of Marvel comics from like two years later than this. Mm-hmm. And I had recently read an Amazing Spider-Man from like you know around thirty thirty one, and Peter's look changes a lot. Like Ditko's art on Peter sort of metamorphoses, mm-hmm. but these early issues is, are very much a self-portrait. Okay. Like Ditko's drawing himself right. as Peter. We've, we, we've talked about it before. I was just, I was reminded of it because it becomes less of that as the years go on. Okay. Ditko's not really self-portraiting around issue 30, but he's very much self-portraiting in these early issues. Maybe losing the glasses is part of what does it. Probably. Yeah, that's a big character trait. Also, um, this was my only concept of Florida as a kid. Do they talk about, have they said anything about him not needing to actually wear these glasses or does he just wear them? Because he doesn't wear them as Spider-Man, obviously. But right. he does have lenses, so maybe they're prescription. Or he doesn't need glasses anymore. It comes out as a dropped line of dialogue in the issue where he loses the glasses. Okay. He's like, I don't need these anymore anyway. So, um, so the whole time he's just been wearing them because he's Peter. I think so. And maybe out of habit. Like, I really like that moment in the Tug McGuire film whenever he, like, realizes he no longer needs the glasses. Yes. He holds them up and they make them look fu- they make things look fuzzy. Like, the metamorphosis in that movie is immediate because they only have two hours. I've always thought, like, and this is just my own headcanon, but, like, Ditko draws Superman kind of, or Superman, sorry, Spider-Man kind of skinny. And he's wearing the glasses as Peter Parker. And then you kind of morph into, like, the more Romita version. Uh-huh. Where he's like strong and he doesn't wear glasses anymore. So like, I've always thought like in my brain that Spider-Man's body just evolved over time. Of course, it, you could also just write it off as artistic choices and style. But uh, I like that idea though that he like his spider powers grew and so his mm-hmm. physique grew as well. If you're fi- you're a 15 year old Spider Boy versus a 30 year old Spider Boy or Spider Man, so you're gonna get bigger. Especially the more you exercise, and you know, I assume he could still get stronger if he actually practices. Like a human right. body, so this was just his natural state. Um, go ahead. the The field trip at the beginning uh-huh. reminded me of the field trip in the movie. I guess it's just because like Flash and Liz are there, and Flash and Mary Jane were there in the in the other movie. But like he, you know, he and Liz are there, and I don't, I don't remember. It just it just felt like the same kind of thing. And then Liz gets the crush on Spider Man, which is really fun for this issue, but does not last. It's interesting, like you said, though, it's not actually a field trip, and I didn't really think about that when I read this. I just I just registered field trip, but they're, like, surprised that he's there. Right. So it can't be a field trip. So it's like, does that mean Flash and Liz, like, for fun, go to museums? Because that, that doesn't seem like them. Although maybe Flash is just trying to impress Liz on a date. It could definitely be that. I also feel like, because the Natural History Museum is free. Uh-huh. It's one of those things that people kind of do. To like, you know, go out and do something in New York is to go mm-hmm. to the Natural History Museum. So, um, at least that's my impression. That's certainly one of the things that's really easy to do as a visitor to the city because it's free. And I'm glad. I mean, I didn't know that, but I'm glad that uh, Liz's Spider-Man crush doesn't last because that's just a very, um, you know, DC trope. Yeah. Yeah. We don't uh, need that. We don't need that in this. There's already enough girls and, and a romantic drama to go around. You know, it feels like. They tried it on for size to show how it didn't fit. Mm-hmm. I'd rather the Flash be in. Lo- I'd rather Flash be in love with uh, Spider-Man than Liz, which is great because he is. Mm-hmm. Um, That's more fun. So yeah, this is my only concept of Florida as a kid: the swamps and the jungle and the 
Spanish fort. Like that, that's Florida. Well, it's not wrong. No, you live there. So obviously I do you, know, live here. you know, more. you know more, <laughs> but when I hear Florida, I kind of think either like Miami or swamps. Yeah. I don't know. I guess that is a stereotype, but. Well, to be fair, there is a lot of swamp land. It's just also been very developed. Yeah. Well, apparently but, not where the the leading foremost uh, scientist researcher on lizards lives. Yeah, because they they say this is the Everglades, don't they? Do they say it's the yeah? They say it's the Everglades. Okay, the Everglades are down in like the tip tip of Florida. Uh huh. But the the one popular Spanish fort is up in the top right outside of Saint Augustine. And there is enough of passing similarity between that fort and the visuals of the of the fort in this comic that I could imagine Steve Ditko like saw that a picture of that fort like a week before he started drawing this and then was you know kind of drawing it from memory. Um, so, so I, is the Everglades full of swamp or no? Yeah, the Everglades are a big swamp. Okay. It's just it's nowhere near the actual fort that theoretically oh, the lizard is going to. I see what you're saying. The okay. geography doesn't work on that. Oh. Darn oh, it. Well. Forget this whole issue then. <laughs> well, I'm a geography nerd, so I always think about where things are in relation to each other. Yeah, um, well, where's Latveria? So, you know, there. It's Eastern Europe. It's that one. I just ruined everything. Um, uh, 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 yeah. So you said he lost his arm in Vietnam. I may have made that up as we were going. Well, he, he she says the, the war. war right? Yeah. So would that be Vietnam or would that be something else? Um. You know, World War Two is 20 years ago, less than 20 years ago. And his kid's only like five, so he can't be that old. He can't be that old. It could be Vietnam or Korea. It could be mm-hmm. Korea. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, they don't say. And it doesn't really matter. The point is he lost his arm. It's kind of like whatever Nick Fury refers to the war, and he just kind of means all of them. Yeah, well, in his case, yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, is I, funny. I still think s- canon for him is World War Two, isn't it? Or did they change it? I think it's still World War II is canon. It's yeah. just weird, like he can refer to the war and like we associate him with every single possible war, but yeah. in canon, it was World War II. Well, I mean, but unlike Cap, he didn't go to sleep, so he could have participated in all of them. That's true. That's 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 true. Um, yeah, Peter poor Pern- Lizard. Poor yeah. Lizard. The scene where he's like writing his letter and crying, that's pretty sad. That is very, very sad. He He's he's a tragic character, like you said, and and... I feel bad for his kid. I feel really bad for his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but like whenever Billy like talks about daddy doing something or his daddy, this or that, it just like pulls at your heartstrings. Yeah. Yeah. And it always inevitably starts taking him over to the point where he goes too far. Like if he was just the lizard and, you know, hiding because he's hideous and doesn't want to hurt anybody, that's fine. But then he always like at some point his lizard brain takes over and he has to like turn us all into lizards. And that's where you got to say, okay, lizard enough is enough. And like lizard brain is a psychology term or phenomenon now. And I seriously, every time somebody says lizard brain, I think of this lizard. <laughs> you know what my favorite part of the Garfield movies is? Okay, before you say that, yeah, both a moment ago and now, when you said Garfield movie, I did not process it the right way. I process it as Garfield movie. Because <laughs> that makes sense. Right? I'm like, what's he talking about? Oh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. My favorite part is, uh uh-oh, someone's been a bad lizard. I don't know why. That (laughs) makes me laugh every time. And every time someone brings up the lizard now, that's the first line of dialogue I can think of in my head. Someone's been a bad lizard. Yeah. Here, lizard, lizard, lizard. Um, Kind of emasculates him, doesn't it? Anyway. So, yeah, it's fine. He could be emasculated, though. He's a lizard. 
Um, there's something about that, though. The Garfield movie. Oh, you mentioned how he wasn't in the Maguire films, but like Kurt Connors was in the Maguire films. He was, especially so the it, third one. Yeah, it, it was like they were setting up and were going to do the lizard, and then they just didn't. He's an easy I, one to go for. I don't think he was even in the announced plans for the um, for the next Maguire film. I think they were going to do Vulture for the next Maguire film. Hmm. And then whenever they didn't do a next Maguire film, they did Garfield instead. They did the lizard. Anyways, they could have done. They could have done. A couple brief notes about the um, the drama before we get to Florida. Mm-hmm. Whenever Spider-Man webs up Jonah, Jonah falls pretty quickly. So we're not yet at the my webbing lasts an hour mark, which is going to be a thing. It's just not there yet. Also, I was wondering about I was, that. Yeah. I was very surprised that Peter was making a move on, um, I think, on, was it on Betty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he almost asks her out. Then he gets interrupted. Yeah. So I was like, you go, Peter. Because she's yeah. not like, yes, Peter, I wanted to ask you something. So the first time she appears, nothing. Second time she appears, he thinks to himself in a thought balloon, hey, that Betty's something. I should do something. And mm-hmm. now this one. And now the next issue is, uh, I'm going to ask you out. But I didn't. And in the next issue, he actually does it. They actually do make a connection. That's pretty So it takes him four issues to get a woman, I guess. Well, if, and it's kind of one of the things about, like, you know, I saw how the, the relationship kind of grows organically. It's like, mm-hmm. this is a slow progression rather than, here is the woman, they have a thing. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, it's continuity, which is kind of rare. Not rare. I mean, we have reoccurring characters now, but um, the whole build-up pro- build process is definitely different approach. Though. It's a subplot. It, this is Right now, I think this is the only comic that has actually building subplots. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And um, I feel like my early understanding of relationships was developed by this series. Like, relationships to me were always, like, very binary. Like, you went to the woman, and you asked her out. Well, that's a good thing if that's true, because that is how it should work. I mean, <laughs> they could ask you out, too. What I'm saying, it doesn't have to be weird. Just ask them out. No, but to me, it was always, I always felt like it was supposed to be, like, this big, dramatic thing. Does he make it dramatic? He just walks up and says, hey, I've been meaning to ask you something. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like he wouldn't have asked her if her friends had been there. No, well, that's different. And yeah, what was that movie? Oh, Harry Potter. How do you ask him out? They're always in packs. Right. (laughs) Yeah, that is different. Whenever they go into the origin story where they announce that Peter, that that Billy is the lizard. Uh Uh-huh. I want to live in a world where this is a big reveal. Like, this, this story is such a part of my early childhood that Kurt Connors being the lizard. They're just, I don't know of a world before that was a thing. And I kind of wish I could read this book with, with fresh eyes. Well, except we don't know Kurt Connors. So it wouldn't have been much of a reveal. I guess we learn about Kurt Connors by revealing that he's the lizard. He hasn't been in like the last five issues as a science teacher or something. Yeah. I just feel like a lot of our villain origins, it starts off with like, here's the villain and Mm -hmm. here's how he becomes the villain. Yeah. Whereas this is like, I'm going to go find out about Kurt Connors, the reptile expert, so I can help, he can help me deal with the lizard. Oh, yeah. no. Kurt Connors, the reptile expert, is the lizard. Dun, dun, dun. That's true. Um, Maybe it didn't play like that. For you know, the years. lizard's also wearing a lab coat, so they really didn't care to keep it mysterious, <laughs> I guess. Uh, no, no. Is um, this our, this is like our, sec- this is our first tragic villain or no? Like, has any other person been a villain against their will, kind of? Against their will. Like, Kurt, in his right mind, would not condone what he's doing. Right, right. Um, 
I mean, we I had. I can't the, think of one. We had the old man who was aging everybody, but he was doing that on purpose. He, he his his spirit wasn't really into it because he wasn't hurting anybody. But uh, yeah, we have had a few people with a certain degree of of tragedy to their situation. But, Namer. Yeah. But um, you know, I don't know people who got like wronged and are looking for a way to get back at them, but that's more of a revenge story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people who are villains against their will or have been thrust into villainy against their will. I don't think we've had that before. Yeah. So there you go. There's a first. Spider-Man is utterly charming with Billy. Uh-huh. He picks him up and carries him on his shoulder. I know who you are. I saw pictures of you. You're Spider-Man. That's right, Billy, and I'm taking you home to safety. Yep, that was really cool. Because, you know, kids always like the superhero. Even when a stupid adults are trying to tear them down, kids usually like the superhero. Right. Also, Spider-Man's understanding of science in order to make this serum... Led to me significantly overestimating how much high school chemistry class was going to teach me. <laughs> like, yeah, I did not learn nearly enough to create a and, lizard to right. create, turn yourself into the lizard. And I paid it or, or to save the lizard. I paid attention. I learned high school chemistry. I did not learn this. Well, I think he's riffing off of what Connor's already discovered. I, I would hope he's not just pulling this out like from nothing. But yeah, uh, but to figure out an antidote for it, yeah, that that's seems true. Like a lot of. I mean, he takes the molecule chart that Connors wrote and he just turns it around backwards, right? Isn't that how science works? Just just flips it upside down and rearranges the letters. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, Peter's also supposed to be a genius, right? I mean, I don't know how he ranks in the Marvel universe compared to all these geniuses we have, but he's supposed to be up there, I think. Yeah, yeah, I feel like Peter being a genius was decades of showing, not telling. Mm-hmm. I'd never talk about him being a genius, but he's always doing these really smart things. And he's, you know, in grad school and everything else. And yeah. Um, yeah. It's like they're, later- they're showing him cause he, Oh, he's a nerd, you know, quote unquote nerd. So he likes science. Right. But I think eventually they realize, Oh, nerds can't create web fluid and reverse engineer, uh, lizard accidents. And I think he did something with the torch too. Didn't he? I don't know. Yeah. yeah he made asbestos webs or whatever, you know, Nerds don't just do that. You have to be a freaking genius. I feel like there was a conversation in the editorial offices, like in the early 2000s. This Peter Parker guy, we've got to, he's really, really smart. We need to start using that more in the stories mm-hmm. and going into um, the brand new day era, then going into Dan Slott's run. That became like a big part of the storytelling is the fact that he's a genius. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of smart in the Marvel universe, I guess. He does some really significant web sculptures in this with the paddle shoes. Oh yeah. That made me kind of sigh. I'm not really into that per se, but I think you mentioned that last time with the Dr. Doom. Cause he like made like with some web shields and stuff. And uh-huh. But like these things it's webs and they're floating. Yeah. It shouldn't happen. That, that just makes no sense, but whatever. And kind of unnecessary cause he's going through this river sticks or whatever and surrounded by trees and he can jump and he can swing but let me just show off by making these stupid web feet snowshoe things and, and push myself down the river. Right, as rafts. Yeah. Oh, uh, we were talking about tragic villains. Of course, you know who is our biggest tragic character so far is the Hulk. Yeah. And the lizard is basically a Hulk kind of story. The Hulk and the thing. But they're, you know, heroes. But also, yeah, the Hulk is like a villain sometimes, for sure. Yeah, the thing sometimes. Beneath the savage exterior of the lizard is a decent, talented man. How can I defeat him and save myself without harming him? Uh-huh. 
that puts a new spin on it, right? Like you can't just beat up the villain because you right. know he's he's not doing it on purpose. But then the um, the lizard can control all other reptiles, and he has like all powers of all reptiles. And I do get a little weary of. I have a certain theme, and so I have all the powers of all the things that have that theme. Yeah, and I think I think they're like insinuating that the alligators and stuff are more powerful when he's controlling them too. It seems right. Like. They're like they're giving Spider-Man a problem where I don't think any other day of the week they would. And maybe it's because they're taking leads from the vi- lizard's uh, mind control they wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily think of on their own. Yeah, it could be. But I don't. Were they being mind controlled, or was he just talking to them? They're being mind controlled. Yeah. It was, he was at least influencing them, at least leading them. Mm-hmm. And is that a thing he always but, can do, or is that just in this story? I don't know. I don't um, know either. I don't really think of the lizard as being a reptile controller. Of course, this is what he does in this story. But I just don't feel like that's... And yet that's his main goal in this, is to like put his serum in the waters of Florida to get all the reptiles into a reptile army. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was his goal in the movie and the cartoon. And pretty much every time I read a lizard story, it's him trying to turn us all to lizards. Or to turn all the lizards against mankind. Right. So he's like a poison ivy of the reptile world or something. Uh, so we draw towards the end. There's a big fight in the fort. Um, and I love, love, love Steve Ditko so much for many things, but especially stuff like page 19. Uh-huh. Where he changes back. Yes. That oh looks my God. really cool. I would just stare at that and like play the back and forth in my mind and the, oh, oh my gosh. It's so imagination stimulating, you know? I also like that it didn't work immediately. So like there's these two panels of Spider-Man still having to fight and wondering if <laughs> if he did it wrong, in which case, what the heck is he going to do next? So it has to like get into his system and take a little bit of effect. I guess so. Yeah. Which makes sense. And then we get back to... um New York and Jameson tears up the pictures. And when Peter calls Liz, he says, hi, Liz, this is Peter. How about tomorrow night? And it Mm -hmm. sounds like he and Liz have done some dating. Well, you know that they had a date set up, right? In issue four, they were supposed to go out and he had to back out. So apparently Liz just, maybe when you call Liz, it's always for a date because Liz is just the girl that everybody wants to date or something. (laughs) Maybe. I don't but know. But I'd like to think that, like, since issue four, he has actually gone out a few times with Liz. Possibly. Um, even if it's just once or twice, enough to make it where he can just call her up for a date. I really wish there was, like, issue zero, negative one, negative two, and negative three, so we could see what Peter was like pre, pre-bite. Because if he was doing this then, then he's, like, the worst nerd ever. Yeah. But if, but if he wasn't, then we could all, we could chalk that up to, like, him having more confidence because now he can, you know, beat up Dr. Octopus and stuff. But so, then we get to only a guy with my nutty luck could end up being his own competition. Oh, me and Superman and Green Lantern. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, my, my note on that was, is it the Parker luck or is that Superman? <laughs> right? I feel like it's been a lot of superheroes, but definitely Superman was the starter of that. Yeah. Although he, yeah. Seemed, he seemed like he had no interest in Lois for the longest time. But anyway. Or like was playing with our emotions. Yeah. Guess what's next issue? Oh, your favorite. He's back. Already. Uh, already back. Like, he was that popular, they want to bring him back already? I guess. Like, Dr. Octopus didn't ring truer for the fans or anything? Maybe you'll like it more. I do like issue eight, uh, seven more than issue two. Okay. 
well, we'll see how it goes. I didn't and, hate um, issue two. I just, yeah, he's just not a formidable he's just, opponent. He's the vulture. Yeah, he's the vulture. I love that silhouette because it looks like a freaking vulture. Yeah. Um, we will see Connors again quite a number of times. We will not see the lizard again for like 40 issues. Wow, really? But the thing yeah. about the lizard is it's kind of the same story a lot because it's like, well, Connor, once again, something happened or he became the lizard against his will again and they're going to try and turn everybody into a lizard again. And I got to fix him because you know what Con- Doc Connors is? He's kind of like Two-Face. <laughs> like, like I used to know. Well, I guess except that he didn't used to know Doc Connors. In some universes, he seems to have known Doc Connors before he becomes a lizard. But it's like I have to have gentle kid gloves fighting the lizard because he's not really a bad person. He just had a bad accident. A bad day. A bad day. Speaking of people having bad days. Yeah. Iron Man's got a really bad day coming up. We have. Which one is this? Tales of Suspense 47. Introducing a new character again. So this is, wow, this episode has three recurring, reoccurring characters being introduced. Yeah. These are all the, have, these are all significant villains. Molecule Man, the Lizard, and now spoilers in this one, we're going to have the Melter, which I assume is a Iron Man staple, I guess, probably, sort of. Um, it's called Iron Man Battles the Melter, not just a clever title, by Stan Lee. Pencils by Steve Ditko, but we can argue about that in a second. Inks by Don Heck, who is our Iron Man guy. Came out August 8th, 1963, with a cover date of November. Yeah, we haven't done any of the dates for these, yeah. but they're all August 8th, 1963. They're all August 8th. We, we go back and forth on how much detail we want to do, because that's just how we roll. Um, so I think it starts out like... Uh, the melters melting stuff or no, they find stuff melted and they're like, what the heck? It was like a tank or something. And they call mm-hmm. Tony and Tony goes over and he's like, I cannot conceivably understand how this happened. Cause I buy the best materials. I'm not like that guy, that gangster from Thor. I buy good stuff and it shouldn't just be melting like this. And as he's investigating boink, I don't know where on the back of the head, he gets knocked out by the melter. So that's our introduction to the melter full on garb. He kind of, I don't know how to describe him. He's like in a green outfit with a purple headgear mask thing and a purple cape, and he looks horrible kind of. But he's the melter. He's got a big circle in his chest just like Iron Man too. So, like, you know, that's how they're linked as hero and villain, I guess. Um, And he goes, ha-ha, I've always wanted to knock over Tony Stark. Let me sit here, bask in my glory, and think about my origin. So he does. And his origin is uh, that he used to be in the same business as Tony Stark. But he, like the Thor villain, used inadequate materials to try and save some money. Um, And the government didn't like that. So they're like, you know what? We're going to cancel all your contracts and we're going to give them to Stark because he's the best and the smartest. And he's like, ooh, Stark, I hate you. How can I get back at you? Ooh, there's this one time back in high school I invented this thing where I could melt iron. Let's look at that again. So he does. And then he figures out a way to make it into a weapon that he can put on his chest. So that's what the circle is. And then he's like, I'm going to go around and melt all of Tony's stuff. And by the way, if that Iron Man guy who's always around pokes his head in, I want to melt him too because he's Iron. That's his name, Iron Man. So anyway, cuts back to the present where he's holding like the crowbar or whatever. Tony Stark's unconscious. He's like, I'm not going to kill you now. I want you to suffer. So he just leaves. And Tony gets up and... It's been so long that he needs to charge. 
So he goes in his office and he charges. And while he's charging, the Melter comes and attacks again. So this time, Tony puts on his Iron Man outfit, fully charged, goes running out there. And he says, you stop. But guess what? Iron does melt because the Melter shoots him. And like his whole left sleeve just falls off and reveals his flesh. And he's like, zoinks. And so he starts to run because what else are you going to do? And eventually he gets away because it's like his facility or something like that. And the Melter like leaves. And then he's really bummed um, and kind of feeling sorry for himself. And the, the the government really likes to stick it to him when he's feeling sorry for himself. And they threaten to cancel all his contracts because, one, if you can't solve this problem of this supposed melter, you know, obviously you're no good to us. And also there's no such thing as anything that can melt iron. So you're just lying anyway. Um, and he locks himself in the room and he's like, I can't beat this guy. My name is Iron Man and this guy can melt iron. So he's really down on himself until he has like this, um, uh, like an Iron Man 3 moment and he realizes he's actually Tony Stark and he's super brilliant and he's awesome. And suddenly he doesn't have a panic attack anymore. And then it cuts to like the next day. He's been in the office the whole time. He comes out, Pepper and Happy are worried about him, but he's like, no, no, I'm cool. He goes to the government as Iron Man or he flies to Washington as Iron Man and then goes to visit the government as Tony Stark and tells them, trust me, I'm going to deal with his melter thing. Um, and then he goes back and around that time, I think the Melter – oh, no. The Melter has already struck again while he was gone. So he goes back and while he's investigating it as Iron Man and like trying to reshape stuff and salvage what he can, the Melter shows up to try and attack him again. But he's like, yeah, this time it's not going to work. And it's true because the Melter zaps him and nothing happens. So, of course, the Melter freaks out and starts zapping other things and he almost kills Happy and uh, – Pepper, but Iron Man saves them because he's a hero. So the Melter this time runs away and he's running through the catacombs and stuff of uh, like the the basement of uh, Stark's uh, factory, I guess. And Stark's after him and he tries various things to stop Iron Man, but none of them work. So what he does is he melts a hole in the floor and he himself jumps into the sewers and like swims away. And Iron Man's like, well, I guess this guy's going to be a reoccurring villain because he got away. And then he comes back. The last panel is Tony Stark back again, being his good old self, telling everybody to get back to work and stop laying around um, because he's, like, happy that, you know, everything worked out. Yay. Yay. So. um, The Melter. Yeah, the Melter. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, it's like, okay, I have this hero. He's made of iron. So let's make something that melts iron. It's kind of a good concept, I guess. Yeah, except, okay, I I need to call attention to the fact that it's not actually melting. What is it like, doing? Well, okay. When you melt something, you're making it hotter. Right. Until it's yeah, so yeah. hot that it changes states. And he's not like seriously damaging Tony's flesh every single time. Yeah. Me- metal melts at dangerously high temperatures. So he's maybe, I mean, maybe he's just naming himself wrong. He should really call himself the disintegrator or the re- matter rearranger. So that, uh, that's what I was thinking. Like he just—he's kind of glooping them away, and it actually reminded me of um, Molecule Man. I thought about it while we were talking about Molecule Man. How Molecule Man can control molecules, and if he can just like magically move molecules around, then maybe this guy can go with a ray that magically moves iron metal molecules around. Essentially, um, he's liquefying iron without yes, without heat, without just, heat, right? Because it's not burning Tony's arm or anything. It's just sliding right off. We just have the little niggling fact that metal 
doesn't exist as liquid at that temperature. At least iron doesn't. Mercury does, but not iron. I don't know. So I thought that this might be a good place to bring in our, our expert on this. Yeah. About time so, we used him. Yeah. We, we have a friend who has been on the show before. Um, he is a physicist, and he examined this question of would the melter conceivably work and how, how could that happen? And here are his thoughts. Welcome to the first and possibly last installment of How to Gain Membership in the Masters of Evil. Today we're going to talk about how you become a menace on the scale of the melter without just going out and buying a blowtorch. Well, to figure that out, we have to ask ourselves, what does the melter do? He passes a beam of some kind over iron and turns that iron into liquid. It can't be through normal heat or it wouldn't be exclusively affecting iron, and it would not have left Tony's left arm unharmed while it melted Iron Man's sleeve. So we have to ask ourselves, what else can produce these effects, impacting iron only and leaving all other materials unchanged? Well, the best possibility is to look at the same fundamental physics as fluorescent lights. As we learned early in the 20th century, the planets-in-orbit model of electrons orbiting atomic nuclei is utterly wrong. Electrons do not orbit in circular paths, and there are only certain specific orbits allowed, and each with its own specific energy. Fluorescent lights are energy efficient because they give electrons enough energy to jump from a low energy orbit to a high energy orbit, but not enough for the electron to escape the atom entirely. When the electron drops back down to the low energy orbit, the energy absorbed from the electric circuit is released as visible light with a very specific frequency. Iron crystal structures may have a similar possibility. This ray may produce photons at exactly the right amount of energy to knock electrons that hold the crystal structure out of their orbits. As a result, the iron would not melt due to heat, but would rather simply dissolve because parts of the structure are being removed. Picture it as a machine that makes the mortar jump out of a brick wall, and the bricks just start to fall out until the wall collapses. So if that's the case, then we could potentially have a weapon that destroys iron but leaves everything else intact. It also doesn't necessarily need to leave everything intact, but just the other materials that we see here in this story, including body tissues and aluminum. The key number here for iron is a strength of the bond of 83 kilocalories per mole, or 3.60 electron volts. This is the energy required to take the electrons in the bonds of the structure and knock them loose. Now you might ask yourself if you're familiar with materials, well how do we know that that's the only iron structure we have? A lot of materials come in multiple structures. For example, carbon in one structure produces graphite, but you arrange the atoms differently you get diamonds, two very different materials. Well thankfully iron has you know, three or four different structures available, but if you're looking at pure iron, it always defaults to a particular type of crystal structure unless the temperature exceeds 710 degrees Celsius. Now, if you're not familiar with the Celsius scale, know that water freezes at zero and boils at 100. So when you're getting up to 700, we're getting into temperatures that do not naturally occur on the surface of the Earth. But if we've got that 3.60 EV photon of light, if that's how much energy is in this light, then that would be just enough to knock one electron out of the crystal structure. So then we're going to need two pieces of information here. We need to figure out 
Is that frequency of light consistent with what we see on the page? And how many photons of this light do we need to make this happen? Well, photons with that energy would have a wavelength of 344 nanometers, which parks them just on the transition between red and infrared. So one problem is that the beam on the page is not red, but yellow. And it's also at the point where people would perceive it as heat, so it would have burned Tony's arm. Interestingly, if you do push the energies high enough to get into the yellow spectrum, they won't have this impact on iron, but it would have a fair amount of impact on titanium. So if there were, say, a titanium man out there instead of an iron man, he would need to fear the melter, provided the melter can provide that much energy. If we take a look at the number of atoms required for armor of this mass, going by the stats on Marvel's website, where the difference between Iron Man's mass in and out of the suit is 200 pounds, so the suit itself is 200 pounds. And if we say that the melter's power melts the suit in five seconds, which frankly seems a little bit long, given how it's been depicted here, then we're looking at a power output of 6.8 times 10 to the 31 watts. So in other words, if we put this in terms of known quantities and multiples of other power sources, the power pack that the melter is walking around wearing would have to have the same sort of power output as not 17 million, not 17 billion, trillion, quadrillion, or quintillion, but as approximately 17 sextillion copies of the Palo Verde nuclear power plant in Texas. That's a tremendous amount of power. So looking at this, crunching the numbers, the only conclusion I can draw is that the best way for the melter to get his revenge against Tony Stark with this equipment is to plug that power pack into the grid, provide incredibly cheap power to the entire planet, become the richest person on Earth, and then just buy Stark Enterprises and fire Tony. So yeah, I guess the melter doesn't work at all then, huh? <laughs> no, but then what sci-fi villain does, really, you know? I mean, they I invent- guess really, yeah. If, if they it's invent- fun to look at the science of it, but... It's just like all magic to us because we don't understand it. Time we can't travel. really talk to ants. Time travel doesn't work either, but we're fine with Doctor Doom sending people back to the pirate days, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am. Yeah. But I also had a thought while I was reading this. This reminds me, we are definitely past all of the Avengers-related issues that Lily and I covered on Avengers Inspirations. Ah, cool. Um, the last uh, Thor issue that we covered was the last one that we did on a published episode. And our last Iron Man story was the previous issue to this one. So I'll tell you something that I like about so Iron there's Man that. I like that uh, his page count has expanded. And yeah. I like that he has um, co-stars now, or at least supporting characters. And I think that's that's really helped like breathe more life into Tony. Because even though this is kind of repetitive of another issue we read where the government threatens to take away all his contracts and it really stresses him out. Mm-hmm. Like it still gives us some insight into Tony's life, not just Iron Man life. Um, and the supporting characters kind of help with that because they're, it's from their point of view that we're worried about him. You know, right. that's kind of fun stuff. That's all kind of cool character beats. And these expanded uh, page casts, we're going to get three of these in a row with a little three-issue run from Steve Ditko. Now, you said you had comments on that. Well, it doesn't look like Steve Ditko to me at all. It looks like Don Heck. So It really does. If Steve Ditko had anything to do with this, it's clearly just the most minimal of layouts. And actually, it even says 
And this is the first time I think they're being a little creative with the credits. They say interpreted by Steve Ditko and refined by Don Heck. So what does that even mean? Does that mean like the the lamest of pencil breakdowns uh, or what? Well, whatever level of drawing he did, Don Heck definitely used his own concepts of what things should look like as he was using the brush. And I feel so, like Donnie is a heavy inker anyway, as we, yeah. will, we will see in the next Thor. Also, he inks Kirby, and it looks nothing like Kirby to me. Um, but, but some it, of the yeah, some of the some of the Melter poses, like uh, the first panel of page four, just have a little bit of of Steve Ditko mm-hmm. feel to them. I don't know if it's a a stiffness or an awkwardness of pose for the bad guy. I don't know, but I. But even look at that. Ditko. Look at that same page. Happy Hogan, how he's addressing Pepper, looks very much like a Peter Parker asking out Betty pose, kind of with his hand up and leaning, yeah. leaning on the desk. You know. Yeah. Which, by the way, we really made fun of, uh, or like dissed Pepper for how she treated Happy when they first met. She like right out of the gate was mean to him for no mm-hmm. reason. Like he hadn't even spoke yet. But after this panel, I'm kind of like, oh, maybe she's just really good at reading people because. <laughs> I didn't like I didn't like Happy in this one. Like he was like really annoying to her, I thought. He's uh, a bit overbearing to her, yeah. You can't bear to have me take my lovable self away from you for a minute. Yeah, I don't know. He's decided that she loves him, so he's just going to comment like that all the time, I guess. I guess he is very confident in the fact that she will eventually succumb to his charms. And he's not wrong, but The fact that he's not wrong <laughs> does kind of add to the weirdness of the reading. Yeah. Um I was impressed with the story's structure. This story leapt right into things. Yeah. I was really surprised that Tony gets knocked in, knocked out by the full-on melter by, like, the third panel. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not usually how these things go. Usually we get this intro of how he becomes the melter and what his, uh, you know, reason for melting is. It's like, nope, I'm the melter. Ha! And he's kind of caught on his back feet for like you know the the whole opening act of the story, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, now he does run out of power again as Tony, mm-hmm. and I guess this is just going to be every issue now because it's happening a lot. Well, we don't know how long he was unconscious, so that could be a an argument maybe. Right, like like they went looking for him at some point and they found him, and he's like, oh, I tripped, but that could have been hours later for all we know. She feels like we're, we had to check that off the checklist every time. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just to remind us how frail he is. And, um... But, yeah, as silly, as silly as the power is, it is kind of disconcerting when Iron Man's fighting him and, like, his suit is just, like, dripping off. That's pretty scary if I was Iron Man. I would be very worried yeah. as Iron Man. It's like, especially, it's like, not, just, not just that you're going to die, but your secret identity is going to get revealed. Your chest armor could melt off and... Now you're really yeah. messed up. Yeah, seeing the other way around, not only could your secret identity be given away, but you could die. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Either way, lots of problems there. We uh, have used the uh, the sabotage of Stark's plans uh, a lot. Yeah. What was so? The other one was the red. Um, the red it wasn't red. What was the guy's name? Crimson Dynamo. Crimson Dynamo. This is essentially the same plot. Yeah, and Jack Frost had a little bit of the same thing too. Yeah, you're right. He did. Yeah. So they're just like, they all hate Tony and they're going to take on Tony and ruin everything. And the government threatens to take all of Tony's payroll away. And and then Tony has to beat the bad guy. So, yeah, this is kind of repetitive. But now, that f- go yeah. ahead. I was going to say, but I really like only in this one, I think, is where Tony is sincerely 
scared that he can't win. Right. This is the first time I think that Tony Stark has been taken aback. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 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 gone into every other fight determined to win it, and he finds the way to win. This where he's like, oh, I honestly don't know what to do. And he has to figure out a solution, and a solution, you know, is actually kind of ingenious and helps oh. contribute to the art to the to the you know Iron Man concept. Which, by the way, I don't even think I said in the summary in my synopsis what the solution was. I just said it didn't work anymore. But he essentially makes an Iron Man suit out of aluminum. Right, and you know the idea that the Iron Man moniker is kind of a misnomer because he's like a he says in a, in the, one of the movies it's a gold titanium alloy or something like that. So. And and most of his um, technology is repulsor based, I think. So like, like I think most of the time, at least in the modern Iron Man, like when things are shooting at him, they're not bouncing off his armor per se. He's probably got like some sort of repulsor, repulsor force field thing going on. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter what it's made out of necessarily. So he uses core. steam against the Melter, which I thought was pretty uh, ironic that the Melter was being put back by extreme uh-huh. heat. Yeah. Yeah. And on it, page nine, um, Tony's thinking, what's the matter with me? I'm still not helpless. I still got the greatest weapon in the world, my human brain. And I'm like, that sounds a lot like the X-Men issue that we're going to have next episode. <laughs> Except in that issue, it makes no sense. But in this, it makes a lot of sense because he is Tony right. Stark. And he is very smart. And I wish he said my human brain, but he said a human brain. It would have been cooler if he was arrogant and said my brain because he is like one of the smartest dudes in the world. But uh, – yeah, this was like my favorite scene in the book, him freaking out and then getting over it. And it's very Ditko to have him like the close up on his eyeball while his thoughts are behind his head. Yeah, that's true. That is a very, very, uh, very manga thing to do to like have the sweat on the forehead and all that. <laughs> single sweat drop, single teardrop. Uh huh. Yeah, a lot of the layouts of the panels are Ditko, but all of the art is definitely looks like heck. Yeah. All right, so on page 10, panel 5, he's, uh, um, he tells Happy, don't drive me, I'll drive myself. And he thinks because he wants to be Iron Man. Now, the real reason Anthony Stark insists on traveling to Washington alone is that he wants to go there on his Iron Man roller skates. <laughs> and it just it doesn't make any sense because Iron Man's not the one being called to a meeting. Tony Stark needs to go to this meeting. Tony Stark should have his driver. And going yeah. as Iron Man seems like this is sort of unwanted attention he usually tries to avoid. Yeah. I mean, he does fly there, but either way, like, like, uh, you know, what is he just going to arrive? And then they're going to be like, where's your car? How'd mm-hmm. you get here? Yeah, it is a little weird. Where's your car, dude? Dude, where's my car? But I'd rather go to Washington flying as Iron Man, too, to be fair. Yeah. Than in a limousine. But, uh. When yeah. he's being confronted by the uh, Washington people, it's the sort of place we'd expect to see Senator Byrd, whom we met recently. Mm-hmm. But but he's not in this comic for some reason. He does come up a lot later, but, but not here. speaking of someone, oh, maybe we totally messed up here. Does he fly and then get into a car and drive there? Yes, he does. Okay, so stands smarter than us. Oh, well. Well, he, he, does. Uh, he does land in a car right before driving into Washington. Okay, but. so there you go. That's the answer. He had a car. But let me ask you a question about panel two on page 11. Are we supposed to know who Joe uh-huh. is? Are we supposed to know who Joe is? Is it like a nod to some movie star or something? I don't think so. I just feel like like I know we've had, I think it's just, we've had Marvel reactions before. Like, oh, look, it's Spider-Man or whatever, right? 
But this is Tony Stark just driving around in a future car, which, okay, cool. Also give him a reaction. But she specifically calls him Joe, and it's just two people. It's a man and a woman, and he's changing a flat. And I just feel like, God, I should know my 63 movies better or something. I wonder if this is supposed to be like a scene out of a movie or, or something. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a reference, but I just feel like it's the usual, you know, Ditko storytelling where random people are like, oh, look at the hero go. He must... He must have such a carefree lifestyle. He's, Probably. He's a superhero, and here we are changing a flat tire on our stupid car. Probably. But, you know, Stan, stop naming these people then, because it seems like it's supposed to be more important. Well, that's a, that's a Chris Claremontism, naming random people that he's about to kill. <laughs> yeah. Give, give you just a little bit of backstory, just enough to care for this person before I yank the life thread right out of them. <laughs> Well, these Thank two. Thank you. I'm Chris Claremont. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Uh, these two survive, I assume. Yeah, we assume. Usually, usually flat tire is not that dangerous. So Pepper goes out there to help, like Iron Man, beat up the Melter. Mm-hmm. Or no, she's going out there to find Stark. So she's in love with him enough to endanger her life, I guess. Or she just didn't think through, think it through. Let's see. Um, yeah, because the Melter's attacking the plant, and they like they realize they have to notify the boss. Mm-hmm. So she's gonna go looking for him. And uh, he decides to go after her, going after him, and they run right into trouble. Yeah. So there, it's like just an excuse to have like a, a rescue scene, which is cool. And I, I really like them in this issue. Like you said mm-hmm. earlier, there's a lot of good stuff between them hanging around. Um, Happy is a bit too much of a come on, but I like that they have a dynamic mm-hmm. we get to see more of. Well, and it gives you... And a, they really it, care about Tony. It gives Tony's like... I mean, not that they're his normal workers because it's a chauffeur and his personal secretary, but it gives his workers a voice, kind of. So when there's all these, like, threats to his company, we get to hear what they think, too. Right. Which is kind of cool. They're the closest people to him at the company, but they are they do help represent the company. Yeah. Um, and then there's just more fight, and the villain gets away. So I guess they want to reuse him. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, he does. It seems like they've been getting away a lot more lately. Molecule Man didn't get away. But in the Melter, he he's actually going to go skulk around and keep a low profile until some other baddies decide to team up with them to go up against our newest team of goodies. Okay. That's the Masters of Evil story of the Avengers. Sweet. He, uh, yeah, he's largely a Silver and Bronze Age character. He does not have that many appearances after the 1970s. Well, his, I mean, his power is kind of hokey. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Do you think this issue made good use of the extra pages? I do, only because, like, again, I like that scene where he's panicking about not being able to defeat this villain that can melt his very name, you know? I liked all that. It actually it did actually kind of make me think of Iron Man 3, the whole business where he kept having panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And then the kid's like, um, but you're a genius. And he goes, oh, yeah. And then he goes to the, <laughs> and then he goes to the grocery or the hardware store and, like, comes up with all these awesome Tony Stark combat weapon things and, like, invades the mansion as Tony Stark and all that stuff. Yeah. It kind of made me think of that. Well, I, I I also enjoyed it. I felt like it didn't necessarily add like new stages to the plot as far as like mm -mm. making more things, but like each phase along the way felt like it was more developed and more, more thoroughly thought out. Just the whole story had more room to breathe. Yeah. So what was it before 12 pages or Uh, 13 is the standard 18 is this one. So there's one five page story in the middle of the next so we get five more pages, and I do think it just helps, like, not have to go right to villain versus Iron Man. The end. You know, we're getting more. Right. To- we're getting more Tony now, which is cool. Agreed. Well, um, 
that brings us to the end of Tales of Suspense 47, I think. And this episode, probably. Is that three and issues? This, yep, yep. And this month. Ooh, really? August 1963 is over. So August 8th so, was the last thing that came out? Picking you know. our favorites and least. Yeah, because they had several issues on August 1st and then August 8th. They only do it the first two weeks of each month. Oh, okay. Oh, no, I'm not prepared for this. Well, just to review, and this is not the order we covered them, but just the order they're on my screen. Journey into Mystery 97 was the first Kirby Thor. It had the Lava Man and then the backup with the um, Origins of the World. Mm-hmm. Then we had uh, Ant-Man Becomes Giant Man and goes up against the Living Eraser and transports to the, the alien world. Mm-hmm. We have the Lizard in Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. We have the Fantastic Four versus the Molecule Man. We have Strange Tales Torch versus Captain America. Yeah. And in the backup on that, we had the return of Baron Mordo against Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. And then this, Iron Man versus the Melter. You know, none of these are that bad. That's going to be hard. Right? Hmm. And sadly, I think the one I'm going to pick is one that I shouldn't pick but oh i think strange tales is the worst book of this month yeah that's what i was thinking too it's like <sighs> that kind of breaks I, my heart but it's true because it makes no sense yeah i was thinking about okay so all the comics that were at the bottom of my stack also had lots of good stuff going for them mm-hmm. i didn't love the giant man story or the melter um, or the strange shell story, but like the giant man had some fun hijinks with the, in, in like, you know, bounding through the city with the dumb alien nonsense. There was good giant man action. Mm-hmm. And then this iron man, the melder's not that great. The villain's kind of dumb, but you got some neat drama. You get to know Tony Stark, his supporting cast makes us worry for him. But the only good thing about the torch and acrobat story was that the acrobat was just as cap. Yeah. It's funny that all these issues this month introduce things though that kind of yeah. that kind of last. Maybe not the Lava Man so much, but but and the uh, Giant the Man, custom- Lizard, Molecule Man, Captain America, Melter, um, Kirby, Thor, the Tales of Asgard. Oh yeah, yeah. And Doctor Strange is back for good now. Mm-hmm. So that was this month. <sighs> so yeah, least favorite Strange Tale. Sorry, Fake Cap, but that's just ridiculous that you're robbing banks while having a thermonuclear awesome, you know floating orbitable satellite thing that you can blow up for five seconds and stuff. That's just weird. doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I'm sorry. It just makes no sense. And don't forget the cap costume was mixed up. The cap costume is mixed up and completely unnecessary. If you took that out of the plot, it could still be the same plot. Oh, you're right. Like, Oh, you're right. Why does he even have to dress his cap? There's no purpose to it. Other, like, honestly, the only thing that was used for that in the plot was drawing torch to the auto show. Speaking of that, was it, one of these books has a letter page, and it's said in there, we've heard you really want us to bring back Captain America, so we're going to test the waters with Strange Tales 114. There's a surprise in it. So I always thought it was the other way around. Like, they just wanted to see if anybody would want Cap. Let's put him in Strange Tales and see the reaction. But apparently they were already getting a reaction, and they still didn't bring back the real deal. That's weird. Yeah, it is weird. It's I don't like, know. I don't know. Maybe they were just making that up. That's the thing about letter pages. I've never, I, it's not really proof of anything because they could say whatever they want. And also, maybe they're weeding out the 800 letters that were all negative and just putting the three up there that love it. We don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Okay. So back to the mission Strange Tales 114, my least favorite. 
I don't know about my favorite. It's going to be hard. Should I do mine? Go ahead. You're going to say Spider-Man. Well, okay. <laughs> um, right? Come on. I liked the Doctor Strange Baron Mordo story. Uh-huh. Um, but you're right. Fighting for the top spot are the Lizard with Spidey and the Molecule Man and the Thor and Lava Man. Um, really? But okay. just for the excitement factor of what is to come, I chose Kirby's Return to Thor as my top favorite. What? Yep. Wow. That issue wasn't bad either, story-wise. Mm-hmm. You got the Jane Foster drama yeah. where she leaves him for the other doctor. Uh, you got the Lava Man, like, slowly building in the background as a threat before Don even realizes he's a thing. Wow. Loki's in the background, like, gleefully, you know, enjoying the direness of it all. Wow. It's a good story. Wow, I had dismissed that one, but now I'm reconsidering. I don't know. Like, I feel like Spider-Man's the obvious answer, but I honestly, it didn't do... I mean, it was cool, but it wasn't, like... And cool, I really cool. like the lizard story. I really do. Mm-hmm. But but it had a lot of traveling and a lot of padding and all that museum stuff and everything. Like, I don't know. Like There were different kinds of awesome. There were. Molecule Man, for sure, is not great. It's okay. I do like Tales of Suspense a lot, even though the Melter's stupid as heck. Ah, Tales of Suspense 47. That's my answer. All right, Mike is going with Iron Man. It's been a while since Iron Man was a top pick for anything. I know, but I like the struggle he went through, if anything else, that stood out to me. Like, okay. I mean, Don is struggling with what's-her-face, but that's just romance stuff. Well, um, I have a lot of thanks to give, Okay. and I am way too tired to do a second recording tonight, so I'm doing all this recording. Okay. Um, so let's see. Getting up the Facebook page and the Twitter page. You can always like us on Twitter or follow us on Facebook or actually the other way around is how that works. And uh, we always appreciate what you do. We always like to give a little thank you, a little shout out to all you out there in the online world. So it's been a busy couple of weeks out there, y'all. Y'all have really been tearing up the, uh, the like pages. Mm-hmm. So here we go. The Silver Surfer. Norrin Rad is following us. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. How cosmic. Yeah, I know. He is ready to rise from the ashes of the great Brexit fire of Britain. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brian Girding at Brian O'Brien. He's good at some things. Supergirl and Brainiac 5 at Kara underscore, I'm sorry, underscore Quirrell. Okay. Uh, it's a Twitter devoted to Quirrell and Kara plus their daughter, XTC. Um, Tim Graham, the grammar, the, like the Grahammer, because Graham has that H-A-M in it, at um, VJ Florentino, I'm sorry, Fiorentino, he's Chief Lots of Dough, Google the World Righteous, <laughs> and that's me. Tired Michael Weinberg, at Agika Mike, he's a mental health professional in Madison, Wisconsin, who likes video games and social justice, and mental health, and sad tweeting, and shit posting, and Jew things. So you go, Mike. Uh, Xenozoic Xenophiles, which is a Twitter name that I have always loved. It's a fantastic name. It's at Xenozoic Files. It's a fan podcast devoted to the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs comic series Xenozoic Tales by Mark Schultz. All right. At Kickin' Pants, your friendly neighborhood comics fan who's also a queer ace. We have uh, Cesar Diter, Bagando Casi Siempre, Going Like Always. We have Icaro Rodriguez. He's at Marv, Marv, Marvatino. I think he's Portuguese. Okay. 
Cobra Kai dropout at Space Boogie 71. He says, whoever said it's not whether you win or lose that counts, probably lost. <laughs> Stubaka, very proud knight of the uh, Star Wars Commonwealth. He's at Luke's Spare Glove. The Irredeemable Shag followed us <gasps> wow. on Twitter. I want to have the Doctor Who theme going in the background like Mike Bailey always does. He's the other half of like that, that Human Torch and Submariner network they run, right? Yeah, the f- <laughs> yeah that one. The Fire and Water Podcast right, Network. That's, that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Also the host of the fantastic JLI Bwahaha podcast. Mm. Um, so that's that's a pretty great show that I I have reserved a slot like way down the road. Mm. So he and I, he's going to let me talk about the Armageddon 2001 annual because that was my first exposure to the JLI. Oh, so they already passed where Batman knocks out Guy Garner? Yes. Darn. Yes. That's all I'd so want I want to talk that- about. <laughs> I read that for the first time whenever they covered it. We have James Enlow. He tweets about watches, tech, and gadgets, and also follows us. I get angry sometimes, too. Um, at reading underscore Hicks. Comics, movies, several decades into my sarcastic phase. He has a few podcasts at WFD Pod and DCOCD Cost. Cool. Did I cut you off there? No. All right. Okay, good. We have Life of a Waste. We have... Sidekick Showdown, a podcast dedicated to the unsung heroes who support our favorite protagonists. We have Glenn Cuthbertson. We have Patrick Joslin. We have Mark Adams, who I'm surprised is only now following us because he retweets us regularly. I've typed his handle in a lot. Maybe he accidentally unfollowed us and refollowed us. I don't know. And finally, just before we start recording, we got a follow from Movie Mad Matt, who does reading, writing, and arithmetic. Mark's brothers, Monty Python, and MS33K are the three M's. Reading rather than the are the three R's. Okay. So thank you so many of you who are following us. Um, we always re- uh, appreciate retweets and uh, supporting the show by spreading the word in your various circles. Yes. So, thank you very much. Um, while I'm bringing up the five people on Facebook, can you tell people where we are? We are, well, I'm in California or Florida. No. Right. No, no. But there's no lizard near me. That you know of. That's um, true. You are the lizard. Oh, my gosh. It's a big reveal. <laughs> he lost a toe in Nam, and he tried to regrow it back. <laughs> um, no, no. You can find us at makearsmarvel.com, where you can find links to the Twitter site and the Facebook site that John is uh, thanking everybody for plugging. Um, and you can find our pictures of... You know, the stuff we talk about if you're interested. And you can write us a letter, which we're probably going to do another show soon or maybe backwards because it's all out of order and weird time travel. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Um, but at pod, podcast, is that the email? Podcast at makearsmarvel.com is the email. That sounds right. Or if that's not right, just use the form that's on the website because that's right. Um, and send us a letter and we will read it in a show and either answer questions or go, oh, thanks for explaining that. Either way, it makes us happy. And over on the Facebooks, James Patrick, Nathan Maney, Tim Price, Bobby Bermea, whom I met through a uh, Marvel like Silver and Bronze Age group, and Alicia Mora have all liked us on Facebook. So we, I think we hit 52 likes recently. So DC, you can eat it. Yeah, that number didn't work out too good for them. So hopefully it works out no. well for us. All right. Well, um, I have another show going about Image Comics, all the pouches and Image Comics podcast, which as a recording 
is just about to go live for the first time. So I'm very excited that's happening in just a couple hours. But um, mm. I, um, I am, I am beat. I'm going to go to sleep. So um, until little Billy Connors gets eaten by his dad, make ours marvel. <laughs>